it's like the new IT department. You know, like IT yeah. IT yeah. has radically shifted and changed, and now it's automation, AI, no code. You know, and how can you use these systems to bring it all together? Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in for another week of This Week in No Code. I'm your host, JJ Engler. Here are my co-host, David Pell, and we have an exciting podcast for you today. We have No Code News of the Week. And then David and I will be sharing our thoughts and opinions on everything that we've talked about thus far. We've had a lot of lecturers or experts, creators, CEOs on the podcast, but we haven't had our chance to personally share a lot of our opinions on where we think no code is going in 2024, the tools we believe in, beginner-friendly tools, all these sort of things David and I will be discussing in, later in the show after the no code news. But without any further ado, let's get into the no code news with David. Morning from Mendoza this week, still in Argentina and wine country. Today, we're going to start with Replicate's $40 million funding round, their Series B, led by Andreessen Horowitz for their open source AI model hosting platform. This model platform has been heralded by some of the biggest indie hackers, Peter Levels, Danny Postma. They were talking about how instrumental this tool is to their business. And we could talk about why open source matters for AI, but basically what this platform does is it allows you to train and host your own open source models instead of only relying on tools like OpenAI, Hugging Face, and other closed ecosystems uh, to run your systems. In the early days of this, this AI boom, right, all of these platforms, there was a shortage of GPUs, there was a shortage of hosting providers, getting systems up for when things went viral, like Headshot Pro, photo avatars, all of these things. These were the rave for a little while, and people built really big businesses. What ended up happening as people promoted their very large businesses using these models, people started gouging the prices. And that's where Replicate came in. The CEO of Replicate was quick to step in and offer help, really bending the platform. And that's what I've read about why Andreessen Hardowitz wanted to pick these guys as an opportunity because they think they're really building a great community to allow all of these millions of software developers to host their own models without really worrying about these closed ecosystems. Platform lock-in, we talk a lot about with no code that exists in AI as well. And really, I'm interested to see where this goes. Yeah, I think it's fantastic to have a platform like this that focuses on open source AI models. There's over 25,000 different open AI models being used by this platform. And like you said, it removes that platform lock-in. It just gives so much more versatility um, in a space that's growing quickly. And I'm sure a lot of really exciting models will also come out of this and give those creators the ability to retain that kind of control. So it's great that, ha that we have a resource like this in the AI no-code ecosystem. Yeah. One, I also saw a post from Emergence Capital. I follow Gordon Ritter, who's one of the founders of Emergence Capital. They just invested in Together AI. The reason why they picked Together AI is because they both believe that the AI frontier is going to 
be operated by millions of these models. And we're talking fine-tuned models, really custom models per customer, for example, right? In these headshot apps, for example, they train a specific model for you. Uh, and so they believe there, there are going to be these apps, which almost act like individual endpoints uh, that run in the cloud, but still need all of this power and all of this GPU. I think that's where this these open source models talk about. That's what they're really referring to. Very cool. Let's get into Gaia, which is a project by Microsoft aiming to create talking avatars from speech and a single portrait image. It represents a significant advancement in AI-driven avatar generation. So it essentially allows you to create a talking head. And this could be used in a lot of different contexts that could be really, really fun, such as like, you know, you're talking to what a historical figures or you're talking to yeah. other people that, you know, might, you might want to talk to. And the training for this system is trained on large scale, high quality avatar data sets with models up to 2 billion parameters. And there's a lot of different use cases for this. Uh, and I'm really excited to see kind of where Microsoft takes this. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how we start living in this new world that feels more 3D than 2D, right? Where we used to be able to just take a photo. It's actually kind of 4D we're living in a little bit, right? We used to have an image that would be like the avatar of a blog post, like this mm -hmm. flat image. And now we have a 3D rendering that changes with time, right? We kind of leaped this 2D. Kind of begs the question, are websites really the key to running these 3D models? Who knows, we'll see. But it's really cool to see how how easy it is to be to do this and how when you start building these language models that can replicate what I might be thinking with my face, well, now all of a sudden I don't have to sit here, right? And now, you know, there's someone on a sales call who is, you know, taking the call, answering questions, but feels like a human is sitting in front of you. How about Amazon Q's data leak? We just talked about them last week. And David, what is going on with them this week? Boy, we were excited to see that Amazon's kind of getting into this, this application game. You know, they're talking about how they have all this access to all of this data. Well, that seems to be kind of their Achilles heel now, right? They've <laughs> come out to say that there's been lots of information coming out, leaks of sensitive data, data about AWS, data about where their uh, data centers are, and like everything is on the table, even things that haven't been released to the public yet. They've talked about discount programs or even features they're referring to. And so with enough prompting, you can kind of understand where a company might be going, com competitive research. And so they, they needed some attention and needed to act quickly. You know, OpenAI, and we're going to talk about this in just a little bit with Google's announcement. You know, when you work at a scale like Amazon with lots of important data, security and hallucinations become a bigger problem. And you can see why here. Yeah, it's, it's understandable because all new tech has bugs you would think though that they would have probably done a better job testing this to make sure of it i mean it's pretty quick after the launch that this is already happening but it is what it is hopefully the damage wasn't too bad and you know i'm sure they'll get it back up and running or to where they want to be real soon with amazon q and it'll be you know this will be in the hindsight yeah I all mean, right it's a little bit of egg on their face right yeah it's a little bit of egg on their face trying to, you know, catch up and seem like they're playing the same game as OpenAI and Google and everyone and Microsoft. And yeah. so 
you know, I wouldn't be surprised if investors were a little rattled, but you know, that's okay. Yeah. Next so up, what's, and what's happening? Yeah. Yeah. Really, the news of the week right now is Gemini AI introduced by Google. It's the most advanced and capable AI model to date. This model represents a significant advancement in Google's AI capabilities, emphasizing multimodal understanding and operation across text, code, audio, images, and videos. And it's just so cool that we have to show you yourself. So we're going to play a little four-minute video of them releasing this product um, for you all now. All right, testing Gemini. Here we go. Tell me what you see. I see you placing a piece of paper on the table. I see a squiggly line. What about now? The contour lines are smooth and flowing, with no sharp angles or jagged edges. It looks like a bird to me. Hmm, what if I add this? The bird is swimming in the water. It has a long neck and beak. It is a duck. Yes. A duck is a type of waterfowl in the family Anatidae. Ducks are closely related to geese and swans. The duck appears to be blue. This is not a common color for ducks. However, there are some breeds of blue ducks. These are typically not as common as other duck breeds. It is more common for ducks to be brown, black, or white. Are you sure? What the quack? I was just talking about a blue duck, and now you're holding one. It looks like blue ducks are more common than I thought. Would this float? I'm not sure what material it's made of, but it looks like it might be rubber or plastic. What if I tell you it's making a squeaking sound? Oh, if it's squeaking, it's definitely going to float. Hmm, nice. It is a rubber duck. It is made of a material that is less dense than water. Can you teach me how to say this in a different language? And give me a few options. Ooh, can you explain how to pronounce the Mandarin one? Is it Yatsu? Yatsu is pronounced with a first tone. In Mandarin, there are four tones, which are essential to distinguish the meaning of words. The first tone is a high, level tone. Oh, okay. The duck is in the middle of the ocean. There is no land nearby for the duck to rest or find food. It is unlikely to find ducks here naturally. Okay, based on what you see, come up with a game idea. Oh, and use emojis, please. How about this? We can play a game called, Guess the Country. Sure, let's do it. Clue 1. This country is the home of the kangaroo, the koala, and the Great Barrier Reef. Oh, that's easy. Clue 2. This country loves football and has won the most men's World Cups in football history. Hmm. You are trying to get me to find the paper ball under the cup. I accept the challenge. The cup to the left. Nice. I know what you're doing. You're playing rock, paper, scissors. What do you see now? The fingers are spread out to look like the wings of a butterfly. What's this? Big ear and barking mouth. A dog. Sweet. The coin should be under the right hand. Hmm, I don't know. The coin is in the left hand using a sleight of hand technique to make it appear as if the coin has disappeared. Both objects are round and flat. There you go. Both are food. The orange is a healthier choice than the cookie. 
Citrus can be calming and so can the spin of the fidget toy. They are both examples of popular toys that have been enjoyed by children and adults alike for many years. Give me some ideas for what I could make with this. I see pink and green yarn. How about a dragon fruit? Or how about a green cake with a pink heart? Okay, how about these colors? And maybe show me some animals. Okay, now I see blue and pink yarn. How about a pig with blue ears? Or an octopus? Or a bunny with a pink nose? So as you guys could see from that video, this is really groundbreaking stuff. What they're doing at, from the multimodal way of being able to have this sight and, and this understanding in such a quick way, this is really revolutionary stuff that is going to change the way that we interact with computers, technologies, and so many more use cases. I mean, I immediately think of, all right, now we're ready for robots. Like if this is what things can happen, like a <laughs> robot can now like start interacting with us and like we're there. So that's what I immediately think of. But I, I love to see this. I love to see a real competitor to open AI. I love to see Google's behind this. I love to see, you know, another big company really taking a step forward. It just goes to show you, though, that things are going to get even more faster, like move even quicker now with companies like this that have these incredible models and the resources like Google has. Like, it, it's just going to, this is just key, heating up. Yeah, it's interesting. I think the the negative aspect of it, like they come out with this huge model, huge breakthrough. Everything seems really exciting. And it's already baked into so many of their products, right? Which yeah. gives them, a, again, a leg up, right? Like it's not about integrating or building it. An open AI wrapper like Google is its own Gemini wrapper, right? They've, they've done it already. You want to make sure that, you know, Sam Altman has come out and said, hey, you know, they're working towards safety and, you know, the proper stewardship of these tools. You know, Google's a little different, maybe less inclined to reel it back when, it, I when they need that. it. Yeah, I feel I mean, like I think they have more enterprise risk and they're that's probably why they're late to the game here is because they have taken those steps. They operate on such a big scale, like in so many countries and so many languages and all of these different like latency problems and scale problems and being able to roll it out to everyone all at once, which is way more people than that use open AI. They have a huge problem to need to be able to do this properly and at scale. And and that's what they've said behind the doors is is why they've delayed the launch so much because yeah. they need it to work they can't screw up like amazon did like what we just yeah. saw <laughs> when i was reading the elon musk biography and take this with a grain of salt just because it's one man's opinion elon's opinion he didn't have the highest regard of eric schmidt or sergey brin uh, one of the founders the the executives at google and their kind of stewardship towards the technology, which is why he wanted to start OpenAI as the kind of balance to Google's power to be able to roll out these technologies. Uh, so yeah, I think there's obviously safety concerns. I think some of it's a little blown out of proportion, at least in the short term. We'll see how this changes. But yeah, I mean, I'm excited to play with it, integrate it, use it for stuff um, and see how it goes. It's really exciting. I'm really excited about it. That This brings us into our segment where we discuss some of the topics about no-code, AI, and what we think is going to go on into 2024. And I think we should just get it started with the beginners uh, and the beginner topic, just generally 
folks that are tuning into this podcast that maybe don't know how to build, uh, maybe trying to figure out what tool they should use, uh, or no code tools still relevant because we have all this AI. Let's just break down kind of what we think from a beginner level of like where no code and AI come together and what we think about it. I'll start delay the way and then I'll let you follow. Okay. Um, yeah. so mm -hmm. no code and AI, I think they go hand in hand, right? I think no code is a perfect complement to AI. AI has awesome reasoning and capabilities, but no code has like that front end builder that connects that user experience in a really, really nice way. Right. And there's a uh, really awesome no code tools now that are very, very simple, such as like softer and glide and some others that it just, it's really easy to get up and running and then to hit API with what we call an API call to do some advanced reasoning or to do some AI magic for us. Right. And so I, I do see, you know, and David from glide, said this a while back that AI is the best chance no code has of like succeeding. And I'm seeing that more and more now of like, I think AI will continue to drive no code to success uh, because it's making us more familiar and accepting to like these newer technologies that are just really good. And yeah, they're not full blown coding stuff that you're used to, but you just connect this AI to this front end and boom, you're there. And so I think it will open that up more. And I think it's never a been a better time to get started with these tools. And even if you're not going to become like bubble pros like David and I, you don't need to, you can use AI and these no code tools in so many different ways, whether it's just like a Chrome extension that is going to scrape the web for, you know, LinkedIn recruiting stuff for you. And then you feed it into AI to then, you know, clean up that data and then all this kind of stuff. There's a million different ways that you can use it, even if you're not at the developer level where you should be really interested in learning these skills. Yeah, interesting. I think there are, I guess, two halves, two halves of this. One, what's a good tool for beginners and where does AI and no-code fit together? I still stand by the premise that AI is only good if you can insert it into a business process. Like yeah. You can't just use AI on its own as its own, like as a superpower, right? Even, you know, the CEO of Glide, and we refer to that interview often, but he was like, like AI is this power, like allows businesses to do more powerful things. I think no code is the scaffolding that lets you insert AI yeah. into your business, right? It is the the tool that lets you click the button, get the output, review the results, iterate. That's where AI and no code really fit together. I still think there needs, you, know, you need the scaffolding to, to fit in there. Now, as far as what is the best no-code tool for beginners, I think that's almost a, a a bad question, right? I would say there are, it depends on who you are, right? Like not, this is my first time using no-code. It's, this is my first time using no-code to do X. If it's my first time using no-code to try build an MVP that is super custom, maybe Flutterflow is easier than, than Bubble to pick up. If I'm an enterprise who is trying to build a room booking app and I want to get into, you know, system admin stuff and I want to actually just get out of hiring a developer, then maybe a software or a glide make more sense. If I'm trying to make a dollar building using no code tools to help a business automation, it might be Zapier, it might be make, right? And so I think being a beginner doesn't necessitate you have to pick a tool. I think being a beginner means you need to know what tool you need based on what you're trying to do. And that is probably pretty hard, right? Mm -hmm. Especially if you're getting all these ads from Bubble saying, 
build your MVP with a, but like, and everyone thinks they need an MVP, right? That's what's been indoctrinated in us. You need to go build an MVP first. But in a lot of applications, like a custom MVP really isn't what you need. Yeah. You know, for many years, I have also been a believer of this is like pick one tool and become really, really good at it. But I think that's becoming less and less important now because there are so many great tools that are good for each of their own use cases, right? And yeah. so I think picking one tool, becoming really good at it is really good if you want to stay in that very small lane, right? And so in my case, I'm really, really good at Bubble and Bubble's really, really good at building MVPs and that's what we do at our studio and we're really good at that, right? But when it comes right. into like internal tools or handling mass amounts of data from SQL or going in a native mobile or exporting your apps, all of that stuff is different for different tools, right? Mm -hmm. And so yeah, exactly. I think it starts with your problem. What kind of thing do you need to build? What solution are you, you looking to build it for, right? What is your use case? What is your customer? Who's your customer? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Who's your customer? And then you get to the technology. Right. And I think it's much more agnostic now. It's instead of just one tool does it all. It's like one tool can probably do it all, but there's probably uh, three or four different ones that you could string together that would do it really, really well. And that it's kind of meant for that. And it's easy to string them together, you know? So like it, when I got started with no code in 2019, I was just like, I just want to pick one tool and just learn it all and just be good at it. Right. And for so long, that's been true. That's been bubble, but we're now kind of at a point where we have so many different little things that are really, really good where it's like, a traditional stack of like, you have your front end, you have your middle, your database, your workflow, et cetera. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying we're getting there yet, but it is kind of getting close in the sense of like, we have a lot of no code tools that are really good at workflows, really good at databases, really good at front end, all this kind of things that you can bring together and make a superior tool. Yeah. I think we like to bucket these no code tools with an outcome or like, Oh, this bubble is used for MVPs or software is used for this. When we think about like being a developer, right? Think about like a developer you might hire on Upwork or freelance or top fell or, you know, just a friend down the street. Very rarely do they know one language, right? And these no code platforms are just abstraction languages on top of JavaScript or Flutter yeah. or whatever. And so it's, it's like, you know, learning Flutterflow is the equivalent of the no-code language of Swift or Flutter. And building on Bubble is effectively learning HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. And learning Xano is effectively learning Node.js and uh, DevOps, right? And, and so, like, you want to be a well-rounded problem solver, right? Like, you want to be able to get hired to solve a problem, any problem, regardless of the language, whatever tool you need. And yeah. so that's where these like you learn how to write in a language that way for that problem, right? That, you know, the bubble platform, you build workflows in a different way than you would in WeWeb, right? And that's the same thing as like Ruby on Rails versus JavaScript, right? Like you yeah. build things differently. That's the syntax is just the UI you have. And so I think, you know, you want to be able to understand how to build, right? First principle, like principles come first, right? Logic, reasoning, testing, QA, briefing, like all of that is standard across everything. But if you want to be a well-rounded developer, you kind of need to know all of these tools for whatever it is you're building the solution for. Yeah. What do you, what do you think 
will be the tool in 2024 that grows the most. And this is a hard thing to answer. It's a purely prediction and, and speculation. And what I mean by growing yeah. the most, it could be from like 300,000 to like 3 million, you know, like a percentage increase. It doesn't need to be like the person that's going from, you know, bubbles already at 3 million if they go to 4 million. Like what percentage increase right. do you think will, you know, get for the next year in this tool? Hmm. That's a good question. I think Flutterflow may be my guess, like percentage-based growth. They're like picking up steam. They're releasing a lot of stuff really fast. They're kind of newer, so I'm guessing their user base is a little lower. Yeah, I think they're around 800,000. And I believe, believe they've already done 100 percent year over year growth since the last year something like that yeah so that's that's pretty impressive i think yeah. that makes sense my second guess would be probably glide yeah yeah so the flutter flow in the last year has grown from three hundred thousand to eight hundred thousand users and that's kind wow. of similar to what we saw bubble they made a real big leap and it was like what two years ago they went from like a million to two million really quickly right and they kind right. of like slowed down there I really like Flutterflow. I, th I think you made a lot of great points. I think they're kind of getting to that 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 place where they're going to continue to take off. Like they've hit some kind of mass and now more of the ecosystem will keep coming there. And it offers so many great things and they're far ahead of the game. Meaning like, you know, WeWeb is kind of similar. It's like this great front end builder based on a JavaScript framework. They're just not as far along as Flutterflow kind of is, you know? But I think yeah. my one downside with Flutterflow that will slow things down is it just takes a little bit more to learn, right? Because you need to learn multiple systems. You need a front end and a back end, right? And so I I think we will see the most growth personally from Glide. And the reason why I say that is because it's easiest to get started with. It's enabling citizen developers all over. And they have the the quick features to get up and running very quickly but then they can take you to the enterprise level with SQL data connections and all these different things where you can have full on orgs of 500 to a thousand people using it. So if I had to say something, I don't know where Glide's user base is right now, but I really like what they're doing from a simplicity and power point of view. I think Dave said something like 30,000. Really? Isn't that what the number was? He, in his interview, we can look, check the tape. Yeah, and see what it was. You can see the tape here. <laughs> yeah, so I think they have. They definitely have room to grow. My, yeah. I guess, it depends on how you want to measure users. Yeah, right? I think the enterprises are slow to adopt things, so I think they have like a trailing history. Like it takes longer for them to grow faster. Yeah, uh, but as we've seen, like enterprises, maybe where it's at. Yeah. If you had one prediction for 2024, no code, what would that be prediction be? And I, and I can go first if you need a little bit more time to think on this. Yeah, sure. I'd like to hear your prediction. I think 2024 is the year where everyone stops saying can no code scale. And I think it's just going to be accepted that no code can scale into 2024 um, with a variety of no code platforms available, additional use cases, being there you know we already know that uh people such as flutterflow can get has apps with 
millions and millions of users. I know Bubble has apps with millions and millions of users. Glide has apps that handle millions and millions of databases with, you know, as a front end. And WeWeb does the same. They're on on-prem with huge enterprise use cases. Like, I think 2024 will be the year that everyone finally says no code can't scale personally. And then they'll probably find other ways to bag on it. But I don't think the scaling is going to be the the thing that people really hate on it anymore. So I think the power is there now. Interesting. Yeah, there are more companies, more examples. Yeah, things look, feel better to be done. Interesting. And and it's just it, it's just getting faster and faster every single day. Even Bubble, you know, they're yeah. rapidly improving their speed. The last monthly update, they increased the speed to make a change to things three times, right? And they were previously had done that yeah. like by 10x. Like it's just going to keep getting faster and faster. And I think it's at a point yeah. where you don't even need these speeds that to the point where it's getting at. Yeah, and more competition breeds better products. Yeah, they have yeah. to. Yeah, so I think 2024, I think we'll finally stop saying, but no code can't scale. There'll be other things to talk about, but I think we'll we'll get past that one. Interesting. I think if I had to make a prediction, I would say this is the year where freelancers and agencies go through the trough of disillusionment for no code and heavy on business process and automation. I think they're maybe from our own experience and the things we've heard from other agencies, from our own experiences, I think it's going to be a tough year for freelancers and fewer people building MVPs through agencies and freelancers on no code. And people will be trying to scale their business into enterprises and automation. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a deep topic. I think we should talk about it for a little bit. Why are you saying this? Well, I think those, you're saying it for a lot of different ways. I think no-code platforms continue to position themselves more and more towards the enterprise, right? It's just they're growing. Mm-hmm. They're in a scale mode. They Some have raised hundreds of millions, and they need to raise hundreds of millions more. And so they need to attract high-ticket clients that can you know get the growth that they need, right? So they're continuing to focus on enterprise clients and they're looking for that and how to solve these enterprise use cases, right? At the same time, building for MVPs is really, really hard. You know, the if you're working with entrepreneurs for that, you have a fixed rate, right? And usually they don't have much more money beyond that, right? And so you got a fixed rate and it takes you a while to find that customer. And, you know, if you were spending money on it, probably a good amount of money to find that customer. And then they give you a total mm-hmm. lifetime value of like X and then that's it, right? So you kind of got yeah. that. And then you yeah. also have... Yeah, I think people have been at the agency. They've been building agencies, not just us, but others as well. They've been building agencies for long enough that they want... they In order for them to scale their teams, they have to get bigger tickets. Yeah. And they have to move into enterprise, but it's not as proven of an area for full applications built in enterprises. And so I think that's where they're like, okay, great. How do we figure this out? Yeah, I, I would agree. I think agency owners also want to have more recurring revenue, right? And with the MVP model, these little build models, it's just like a one-off thing. And it becomes like a hamster yeah. reel, reel of like finding more and more. And so I think agency owners, we keep talking and reflecting back to them. And it's always just like, you know, how do I get to that reoccurring? I can build a real team. I can build real processes. I can build a good lifestyle around this. And I think you find that in the enterprise world 
where you have these, you know, larger contracts where you're working on automations, AI integration, training, you know, all this kind of thing, monitoring to keep their internal systems running at full capacity. They put you on retainer for that unless on the entrepreneur side. And I think on the entrepreneur side, these tools are getting easier to use. So I think entrepreneurs will continue to do it themselves kind of thing as well, which is also a good thing. Yeah. I am putting this out into the ether, hoping we get some feedback on this comment. This is based on conversations we're having. This is what we're hearing out on the street, projecting those conversations. So maybe there's a little recency bias in this and like personal, this projection or, or prediction kind of in the same thing. If other people are seeing differently, right? If there are agencies out there going like, hey, we find people building MVPs all the time. This is what we do. We love building these one-off things in the no-code space. Let us know, like, is this, are we are we losing our minds or is, is this real? Maybe we'll see in Doc's report next year. Yeah. Yeah, I think this leads us really well into the next question, which is what do no-code agencies look like in 2024? You know, like what is their structure, their systems, their value proposition? You know, and I think it hits a lot of what we were just talking about, which is, you know, I think no code is going to continue to be how can we help your business integrate AI and automations to make things more efficient, to make things easier on you? And then how can we help train your people to use these systems? Well, then we kind of fall back as a monitor, you know, like kind of recurring contract. We're going to help you monitor. We're going to help you train and we're going to help you build new things in the future. But, in, you know, once we build these things for you, we'll train your people, you get up and running, and then we'll kind of fall back on a recurring contract just to be your support as like an IT team. And then, you know, and you're doing that for large scale orgs and training those orgs itself. You could be training 50 people, hundred people. And so I think mm -hmm. this is going to be in 2024, more of a, a knowledge transfer and sort of here's how these new technologies can benefit your business, educating in that way, building those processes and, you know, automations for those businesses, and then also training their citizen developers, their employees, how to use these things so their entire business can be more efficient. And so I think that's where I see it because I, I feel like every business needs this right now. Every business can most likely benefit mm -hmm. from the recent increases of no code and AI. And I think, ChatGPT has been going mainstream enough where everyone's kind of seeing these ma magical things and people are starting to say, okay, well, how can I do this for my business, right? And I think more and more people are going to say, hey, can you come talk to me about what could be done? And then they're going to be like, oh my God, can you do this for me? And then, yeah, we can actually show you how to do it too. And then they get hooked. And then it's like, and I think every business could use this. And so that's what I see. And I'm personally really excited about that. Like, I love no code. I love AI. I love training, education. I love, you know, providing that support. And, and it could be still really risky because if you're working with a company that has, you know, five, 50 years of data and you end up, you know, creating an automation that messes all that up, it could still be risky, but I think you'll still get a premium because of so, such, but it's going to be less demanding than building a full on MVP. Yeah, I think that I think you're right. I think there's lots of business application trying to figure out what they can do with their business. I think yeah. over the past few years, many business owners have come across some kind of no code tool at some point. Like most, I imagine a lot have found Airtable or Monday.com or ClickUp or Zapier. 
And these are talked about generally in the no-code space. And so it gets people curious, what more can I do? How do I expand these things? But I think a lot of businesses, and we take this for granted because we live in the tech world and we follow tech Twitter and we're you know, following software companies, many, many, many businesses are still not digital first companies. Yeah. And so learning how to, yeah, they don't know how to scope a project. They don't know what's reasonable. Like they think AI is this magic pill that, oh, I'm gonna integrate AI, integrate AI and magically I'm gonna have an automated sales team. But they don't really know how these things all fit and what's reasonable and like how do you scope it and deliver it and really like monitor it, make sure it's doing what it is. And I think really that's the value of the of any agency is like helping a business owner to deliver something, right? Like they're not tech. There are some agencies which are just like outsourced, right? Hey, yeah. we need to ramp up five people for a couple months because we need a deadline. But for a lot of people going from zero to one is totally foreign to them. And that's where agencies can really help as like a chief product officer, chief automation officer. They're the system admin connecting everything, knowing all these tools to help them pick the right tool for the job and implement something at a reasonable scope on a budget, on a timeline that makes a meaningful impact. Yeah. That's probably more important than building, than doing the actual work of the technical work of building it, but just advising them is probably really helpful. Yeah. It's like the new IT department, you know, like IT, yeah. IT yeah. has radically shifted and changed and now it's automation, AI, no code, you know, and how can you use these systems to bring it all together? And it's like, yeah. you think IT like this old, old thing, you know, like, but, it's a revamped IT, I know. Yeah, computer networking and yeah. security. Well, like Salesforce is a no-code platform. Salesforce falls into the IT team, right? Yeah. Managing the IT. Airtable, that falls into IT. Like it is an IT problem. Mm -hmm. Most people outsource IT, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, you know, you're not going to have an internal, like a network system admin to help manage Microsoft passwords. Like that's not... Yeah. Uh, Unless your company is big enough, you're probably not doing that full time. So yeah. there's no person on the team to take this on, right? And so that's that's where an agency comes in. And I think it's a whole new frontier out there. I think there are so many businesses that are going to need this help over the next five to 10 years that I don't think really agencies need to worry about competition. It's because everyone in their backyard or the next state over whatever, they all need it. And so I think it could be a really good time for no-code agencies to grow in this way and to kind of mature as this more, you know, sophisticated IT department now coming in and helping these companies grow into these automations and AI, you know, use cases. Yeah. It's interesting how it might play out. I think the thought that comes to mind is uh, what happens sometimes in marketing agencies they figure out how to do marketing, right? Which is like a very generic and broad statement. Like they figure out how to do digital ads or cold email or whatever. And inevitably they come across a brand that could really use their help that's powered basically entirely by their agency. That's the main driver of their growth. They acquire the brand and they become these like 
brand studios, right? They own a bunch of businesses powered by the marketing agency, a couple operators. I think there are going to be lots of businesses that may not necessarily have that marketing problem. But, you know, when you think about, and we've used this term before on the podcast, the silver tsunami, right? This transition of businesses from generation, from an older generation to a newer generation, you know, they need these systems. They want to be digital first. There's an opportunity there to kind of do what marketing agencies do, but for paper and pencil businesses. Yeah. yeah. It's an exciting time. I don't think it, it could be a better time for us in this space. The things that are increasing, like improving rapidly, you know, Google's Gemini in six months, that's, it's going to be five X that, right. And it's already really, really impressive. Yeah. It's, it's, it's hard sometimes talking about AI to people that don't know, because it's kind of just like feels gimmicky. I'm like, oh, we can now have AI agents call you and make calls for your customer service right. team. And they're like, yeah, okay. But it's like, no, like really, you can do that. Like that's a thing, you know? And so I think there's still normalization coming. I think people in mainstream are still like, oh, chat GBT, what is that? Or can it do this? And then they're like, they use it for the first time. It's kind of like that Google experience. And then they just Google everything, right? And so like, <laughs> it's going to take some time. It's not going to happen overnight. Um, we're going to still have a lot of these old industries transferring, you know, slowly, you know, like QuickBooks has been around for a long time and there's still a lot of paper and check companies. Do you know what I mean? So it's not just yeah. going to happen overnight, yeah. but it is going to create major transformation across many, many different agencies, industries. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you no, look no. at, I like to draw reference a lot to the film industry because that's where I come from. And for so, so long, we had film cameras like 35 millimeter cameras, right? And only a select few people could actually shoot videos on that, right? Because you needed to load the camera, you needed to expose it properly, then you needed to, you know, process it, all this kind of stuff. It was very hard to shoot videos, right? And then digital came around and then more and more people were able to shoot videos. And then phones came around and now everyone shoots videos. And so, yes, the accessibility is increasing and the saturation is there, but there's so much new creativity and things that are happening because it's in the hands of so many more people that so many more amazing things are being created now than ever before. And I think we're going to continue to see that with technology and AI of it's now in the yeah. hands of more people than ever before. And some really good things are going to come with it. Probably some bad as well, unfortunately, but some really good things as well. And it's going to, you know, kind of give everyone that power to, all right, now I can turn on my phone and make a video or I can, you know, put together this little zap that's going to save me three hours, you know, like things like that. I think we'll yeah. see a lot of empowering from these citizen developers. Yeah, it's interesting. I wonder what the next humble brag would be. You know, the like, oh, I'm a influencer. Like that's what they want to do. It's like, I wonder if it's like the, I work the least, right? Like I have all the automations built and I only work two hours a week. Yeah, I have so an like, I have an army of twenty AI agents that run my life. Yeah, I don't yeah, do yeah. How big you is know? your agent colony? Yeah, how big is your agent army? You know, like <laughs> yeah. Oh, I have an agent that does this. Does your agent do this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like Pokemon trading cards. Yeah, like, yeah. I trained my agent to do this. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Like, I think with new technologies like AI, so transformed media. I'm curious to see what happens. Like, we're talking about 3D. It's so easy to turn things into 3D, you know, you wonder, like, do we interact with media differently now? 
Yeah, I mean, I have an example of this interacting with media differently. I was listening to a podcast and this woman invested in this company. It's a real company. And so what they do is they take your videos, if it's shot on an iPhone particularly, and they convert it into a 3D environment via VR so you can relive those moments, right? And so it feels like if you have a video of like your grandma and you for the last time, you can pull that up and go into VR and relive that moment, right? And then it's then taking AI models to like simulate even more beyond that to like interact with it in those moments, right? And then you're kind of creating these real VR time capsules that are incredible. Like people would pay any money to like live the last moment of their life or, or just to bring their mom a life again and to live in this little VR world with your mom kind of thing. You know, like there was a lot that is coming. There was a black mirror episode. This was the premise. Yeah. Where basically this older lady who was on her deathbed probably couldn't talk, probably couldn't move or anything. They were able to basically feed these memories so that she could relive all this, you know, mm-hmm. her youth. And every yeah. night, basically, it would replay this. There'd be slight differences each time. It kind of makes you think, like, hey, this model, that's kind of what this is doing is I have a memory. Now, of course, this was a little even further into yeah. the, like, brain implant world where it all just lived there. And I think there was a decision to make at the end where she could, like, upload into the like live this forever or it had to ch- i don't mm-hmm. know something like that yeah i don't remember the, the black mirror episode but, but it's it's kind of like that you know and i think we saw someone posting in our slack bubble group how do i get text messages with a loved one so i can have a conversation with them again and this yeah. is now like the whole new level i take yeah. a photo plus their conversations and i have a talking head yeah right now i have like reliving these moments you know i can now call my dad and say hey what would you do right and get that right. advice that you and always like wanted it's a weird, yeah yeah it's like a weird it's gonna be almost I like a therapy how, moment. like you can charge per minute with this ai agent of like this you spin up your dad and go chat with them for 30 cents a minute yeah <laughs> i would i'd have hesitations about that i guess oh, certainly i i think it's just common i think Another thing that we'll see is some kind of like upwork that are full AI agents. And so like, oh, you need a social media coordinator. Here's our agent for that. And they charge per day or whatever. And then, oh, you need a video editor. Here's our agent for that. And I think you're going to have full business teams that are full AI agents that are kind of sharing like a second brain. And you have like marketplaces that specialize in training these agents in very specific tools that you can then kind of pay on a monthly basis, similar to like an employee, but much cheaper kind of thing. I think we'll get there as well with AI and and what it could do in that sense. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, so let, let's end it there and get into a couple community updates. The first update that I want to talk about, and I'm very, very excited about because this has turned into an annual thing for me, and it's my uh, 2023 no-code holiday party. So I did this last year. I'm doing it again this year. We're putting the link to the invite in the description of this YouTube video or this podcast, whatever it may be. And it's a chance for us all to come together. It's on December 16th. We will be bringing in a panel of no-code experts, CEOs, industry professionals. We'll have some fun little interactions and some giveaways as well. Uh, It's a great chance for our listeners, you guys, to come in and meet us, interact with us. And so 
You please RSVP below. That's the only way you'll get access to the live environment. It's a free thing. It's on December 16th. It's my annual no code holiday party. I'm also going to be mm-hmm. trying to put together like community no code awards as well. And I'm getting really ambitious with this, but it's been like a dream of mine for several years, David. And I, I, and I'm a little late into the game now, but I'm, I'm going for it. And so today on Twitter, I put out what kind of awards should we have soon? I'm going to open up the voting and then hopefully I can get it to a point where I can announce the winners of the 2023 community no code awards at this holiday party. So I'm really excited to announce that. That'll be fun. Yeah. Yeah. One other thing that we want to say in our community shout outs is Kieran, AKA no code life sold one of his no code businesses. And we just wanted to send a huge congrats to Kieran, uh, another great creator in our ecosystem. It's also uh, also always great to sell something you made. Uh, We're really proud of you and great job for making it happen. If any of you guys have suggestions or news that you want to add into our community segments, please let us know. If you haven't already, please leave us a review. Ideally on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review there. Let us know if you're enjoying the podcast. Otherwise, that's it for this week in No Code. And David? See you next week in No Code. (laughs) Yeah, next week in No Code. See you guys.